episode of Voices in Hyperspace. This is Dion Smith, aka Legendary Black Lion. I'm Mel Asylum, also known as Mel's Rebellion. I'm Nita Painter, and I get paid to craft. This is Sunday. Hey, yeah. So, so Nita, you get paid to craft now. Can you uh, share us a, share with us a few details on what's going on with that development? Yes. So um, one of my favorite things to do is to turn a bunch of random things into something nearly useless. And I get to do that with a bunch of kids at preschools and birthday parties and all kinds of things. So it went from, oh, this is something that I spend my money doing and now I'm broke to this is something that I spend other people's money doing and now I'm having fun. Even more friends. Yeah, getting so. paid, yes. yes. Getting paid to to do the thing you've been doing, to do the thing that you have like the passion for. That's that's awesome. Yes, yeah. that is where it's said. Yes. No, nobody should work unless they're doing what they love. That part. <laughs> it's my icky guy. And I, you know, it's the, it's our dream. So hopefully, you know, I wish you all great fortune and you know pursuing your passions and doing exactly what it is that you love to do and getting paid for it until you know money's useless that part <laughs> so this episode is uh episode episode five the parliament of dreams and it was pretty interesting the first thing that i'll throw out the first uh, thing that i observed is how in the previous episode all of the main characters the non-human main characters were absent in this episode, they all come back and they become, once again, centered to the story. Um, so for you all, what were some of your initial re- responses or reactions to this episode? I was definitely engaged, um, especially when it got to the part where Jakar was like, what you mean about the courier? And then he turns around and the guy's like, gotcha, bitch. And it's like, <laughs> oh, no. And for... Like, this episode is so strange because I don't like Jakar, but I empathize for him in this episode. And I don't know how I feel about that. That's funny because that part in the episode (laughs) is what struck me, too. I'm really into, um, like, The Walking Dead, or I was, when it was really popular some years back. And what I liked most about it is that main characters could die. Anybody could get it. And when Jakar got snatched, I was like, is he dead? Then, of course, you know, the way they used to do television. Like, no, the main cast is never going to die. And it was like, womp, womp. But, yeah, I enjoyed that part. We got a little bit of echo. I think we're okay. But, yeah, so you can see that this episode was uh, heavy on Jakar. It was like the central story was about Jakar. But the, the, the the backdrop is the station is having a festival that observes the various religious beliefs of the different aliens on the station. And we get to see a little bit more into each of at least the main character, the main um, alien races. Uh, We get to see more of the Centauri, definitely the Mimbari. Like they each have whole ceremonies demonstrated on the show. And then we get to see some of the humans. There, there was the show does start off with a little bit of an interaction between um, Garibaldi and the aliens called Adrazi, you know, trying to get that dagger onto the station. But they don't show too much of their religious beliefs 
in this episode. You see more of their you see more of their culture in later episodes. But I thought it was pretty interesting because this 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 kind of comes across as like a UN type of thing if we wanted to put it in today in today's terms. It's like the um like the prayer breakfast at the White House or something like that where you get like rabbis and uh, priests and Baptist preachers and stuff all together. It's like we are united in our faith, you know, that type of thing. And it is once again, like Babylon 5 is trying to fulfill its role as like this, this grand diplomatic project. But of course, Jakar, he is completely disengaged and he's, you know, he's got other problems. Yeah, somebody's out to get Jakar's bone. Yeah, so Jakar receives a death threat via video from an old enemy that's basically dead already. And he <laughs> he goes through this elaborate monologue talking about how he spent the last of his assets to pay an assassin to kill Jakar. And what is it, 48 hours that he's supposed to be, be killed? This reminds me of like one of those episodes of Batman, uh, the animated series, and I don't I don't know why it just it just seems like such a um, like a super villain thing to do to be like I'm dead, but guess what I'm taking you I'm taking you out and there's nothing you could do to me you know that sort of thing, which is <laughs> hilarious. It's it's more cartoonish than actually dramatic, but I feel like I feel like the character really lived up to making this uh, a more entertaining episode. What did you guys think? I like the way that they went about trying to solve their own case. The, the thought process of them going back and forth, I, I think I really enjoyed for some reason. And that, that like she was so strong and confident. Like I really noticed that the females come at you the same way the men do. Like, uh, and you also got to see where his... Uh, the way that he speaks was kind of similar to the way that she spoke. So it's not just his personality, it's their culture to talk like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do come across as a very, like, warrior type of culture. And yeah, the the women yeah. the women are not like, they're not treated terribly different than the men, like, at all. That confuses me because I, too, get the vibe that they are very um, a strong species, but then is it Jakar? He just seems so comedic and um, soft at times. Even when he was getting tortured, it was first like, "Oh, this hurts! I'm just I'm dying! I can't believe this is happening to me!" And even his shock when he found out that the courier was the assassin. But then a scene later. It was like, I'm not going to cry and give you the satisfaction. I'm like, what? Like, how did he just like switch up and I'll be this super strong and tough dude? It was weird. He forgot for a moment. He was like, yeah. oh, no, <laughs> he was already crying. Yeah, he's already <laughs> crying. And then he's like, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of crying. Like, <laughs> okay. He's all words. I already got it, but all right. Now, there is another story thread that's going on. And this one I don't think was very successful, and that is um, that is Sinclair and his his uh, old love interest, Catherine Sakai. So this whole thing is weird because apparently Garibaldi knows everything about it. 
Um, they've been on and off for, you know, over, about a decade or so. Um, and he is aware that she's on the station, but he's kind of like, he's not really, you know, he's ignoring his duties, but he's also trying to, you know, not pay so much attention to her until finally they just like, screw it. We're going to go to dinner. The actress, I looked it up. I was trying to see if, if she was familiar. I really don't recognize her. She did a lot of action, action TV shows and like dramas, but I didn't see her in much else, but she, uh, I'm gonna have to tell the truth. Her acting was not up to par to the cast that was on the show. And it was interesting because they just rolled through it. It was like, okay, bad acting plus good acting. That's the scene, which I thought was pretty hilarious. I have accepted that this is a soap opera. So, I mean, yeah, the whole love story with uh, Commander Sinclair, it came off as like the cheesiest soap opera ever. Yo, that is real life for me. Okay. Being an assertive woman who actually does not it i don't accept or like advances for men um, and then to be to uh, to have to deal with rejection i think they did that very well whether her acting is good or not the scene in and of itself that is reality it's like all right i'm here i'm doing the thing and now you're gonna tell me no oh that's just i don't know near and dear to my heart <laughs> Yeah, I felt it. It was pretty um, relatable for me, um, especially when she got the good news and she's like, you know what, I'm gonna go celebrate with him, even though I already decided I'm not gonna mess with you no more. I'm like, yeah, I've been there. I mean, she felt real alone when she got that that income and was like, uh, ain't nobody around to celebrate with. So, yeah, I mean, they 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 started out and they acknowledged like, hey, this thing don't work between just the type of people they are and the type of jobs that they have he either leaves she either leaves they both leave uh, she was like you left last time and she goes no i didn't you didn't and she's like did i she's like whatever <laughs> it, it's, it's just they know that they play out the same like the, the same storyline they figured this this encounter is going to be the same thing too and uh oh go ahead sunday Oh, I was going to say that it sucks that however many years into the future that is, that they're still huh, exploring that dynamic. Um, I can only imagine that learning about the different cultures and things that people would get exposed to, you know, different styles of existing. Because yeah. have they had any interspecies coupling in this show so far? Yeah. I don't. Not yet. Not, Not yet. Really. They well, mentioned uh, Jakar with the woman's underwear in his room. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they say Jakar has, he likes earth women. Oh, yeah, so those aren't, those aren't his underwear then? No. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't wear them that we know like of. Have them around. They make him feel pretty. <laughs> there was yeah. the, in the very beginning, remember that, that guy that almost got himself killed trying to be interspecies? Yeah. Yep, yeah, that's true. So it so, does happen. So with that, you would think that like they would find a way to make their relationship work without, you know, trying to hold on to, you know, old systems that are not benefiting you. Like clearly y'all are into each other. Don't deny what it is and, 
you know, be creative with, huh, with the options that are available to you instead of making yourselves miserable, pretending like y'all don't want to be together. Yeah. But that's the thing. I don't think they're pretending they don't want to be together. They are acknowledging that it just doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work the way that they're trying to do it, like the traditional way. That's why I'm suggesting that they uh, open their minds to like a different way to make it work, be creative in that aspect. Yeah, because when I don't know who said it, but somebody was like, you know, every this happens every three years. And I'm just kind of like that's I'm cool with that, though. I like that kind of relationship, especially if I can have that relationship with multiple people in different sectors or whatever parts of the galaxy yo meant <laughs> so just kind of <laughs> pop in pop out i'll see you sometime again this decade just uh just know that i'm coming through yeah yeah you got it see damian's on board <laughs> they seem pretty fine like caring for each other or the way that they do and respecting each other's careers and it's not like they can't keep in touch. So if they're perfectly fine with being separate, maybe they just, maybe it's something about being together and not wanting to be separate, but not wanting to give get give up their careers and be separate. I wonder if this is also making a comment on how challenging it can be to carry on relationships uh, if you are a career military officer. Yeah. Um, you know, this, okay, I'm gonna have to make another uh, parallel to Babylon 5. So, Commander Sisko, he he had a relationship with Cassidy Yates. She was a civilian, and she was a, um, she was like a transport, she was a captain of a transport ship. She would take cargo around uh, the sector. And, you know, he was, he was concerned about her safety and well-being because there was all kinds of stuff going on. There was the war, um, there were the Maquis, there were Cardassians, Raiders, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And so that could be seen as like a similar thing. He was military, she was a civilian, and her, and I believe, I can't remember the episode, but it was an episode where he was very concerned for her safety. And he didn't know if she was alive or not, right? Um, in this case with Commander Sinclair, you know, he's in relationship with a civilian. She's she's like a she uh she transports like artifacts, right? Am I am I remember that correctly? I thought she was a surveyor. Is oh she surveys uh like a geologist. Yeah. Okay. Cause but, they were saying what's the the money that she got was from a mineral that they had, that she had found and then they sold it and that's and what they the made, profit like, came from. Yeah, that's right. They made like a ridiculous amount of money. Okay, so she was a surveyor. So it's... Okay, so then I see what the dynamic is. She moves around a lot because of her job. She goes from either planet to planet or maybe she surveys uh, asteroids and stuff as well. And he is stationary. He's stuck at one station. And he sees people coming and going and she's one of those people. So, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. She can move freely and he can't. Yeah, and she didn't know that he was working on that state that he was running the station when she got there, so they weren't even trying to keep in touch. So at this point, he's stationary, but they were yeah. probably like going all about before that. Before that, you think maybe 
it was the money that she got that allowed her to think more freely. And I want to, I don't usually like to ask a question and then keep talking, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, the reason why I ask is because I've had several conversations about people in our actual lives who struggle with imagining different ways or being creative because they're so focused on getting the bag or paying a bill or whatever. Mm. So I want my question is is coming from having seen however much money she earned from that one job. I wonder if that alleviated her perspective on needing to survey so that now she can imagine um, a relationship with Sinclair and what that would look like. Yeah, I love that perspective because I recall her discussing how expensive the picnic basket was, like the cost of the bread and the, you know, the drink and all of those things. And it just, you know, nods to how incredibly effed up capitalism is even far, far into the future. It doesn't get any better, y'all. But I think for sure when your material conditions um, are at the forefront of your thought process, it in, it enables prohibits your creativity on top of the fact that um, it is actively, you know, being terminated intentionally, in my opinion, um, going through our or our educational system. They, you know, the people who want you to be a cog in the wheel for capitalism to turn, they don't want you thinking creatively. They don't want you, you know, thinking outside of the box because then you might actually get your ass outside of it and then not be giving up that slave labor. Yep. So we have another introduction to the show. Um, like I said, the we've been talking about the non-alien, I'm sorry, the non-human characters are back on the back on the station. We see Delenn is greeting her um her diplomatic assistant, Lanier. Um, did y'all pay attention to that conversation that they had going on? Oh, yeah. She just really, I don't know. I don't trust her. Well, they had already hinted, hinted at it before that um, she was a part of the Grey. And apparently this is common knowledge on her planet, but the, the aliens can't know for some reason. <laughs> the Lynn is the Minbari woman, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. I am really struggling with these names. We got Do-Rag and somebody else. Okay, I'm following. Okay. So she meets, she greets Lanier. And he's, you know, he's, um, apparently he's part of the religious sect of um, Minbari culture. So he won't look, he won't look up at her. He keeps his head down. He addresses her as Satai Delin, and she's like, hey, don't call me that here. No one here should know that I'm a Satai. No one sh- don't even talk about the Great Council. Look up how, you know, how we're going to work together if you don't look in my face. And he's like, it's forbidden. She goes, you know what? Forget all that. Like, we're here for a specific reason. So, you know, for you to help me out, I need you to look up. And so she is basically laying down the rules on how they're going to conceal her true identity. 
And it just, yeah, it makes it seem like, well, what is she really there for? We've, we've talked about this for a couple episodes so far. Like, Delenn knows more than she is sharing. And she is hiding a lot. She's being very elusive. And in some cases, deceptive. She and now she... To... I'm sorry, go ahead. She is there to observe. Well, now she has an accomplice in Lanier. Now, and, and this, we, we seem to have, like, the... The, the the field is set for a lot of potential conflict. We have a we have kind of a good idea of what's going on with Lando. Uh, he had we had a Lando centric episode just a little bit ago. Now we have a Jakar centric episode, and we're seeing a little bit more about the Minbari. We actually see one of their um, religious ceremonies here too. And actually, before we talk about that. Let's talk about the Centauri religious uh, celebration. That one is kind of what I get would have guessed it would have been like. What do you all think? It kind of reminds me of Thanksgiving. It's like we're going to throw a feast and, and party and get drunk because we killed people and uh, proved ourselves to be so-called superior. Yeah. That part. He called it a celebration of life. But then there, you know, he's talking about all the different god statues that they have. Lando is wasted. He is, he is, <laughs> he is so chocolate wasted. Waste. He's not chocolate wasted. He's wasted <laughs> on the good stuff. <laughs> Crawling on the table, wasted. He became one with himself, wasted. Like, yeah. And uh, I, I noticed. So, like. On the one hand, I was like, they are playing kind of like this weird medieval um, lute music, but they said like, you know, this is a this is a celebration from their ancient past. So I kind of give it to them like, okay, this maybe they had a similar ancient past like humans did, uh, but they definitely kind of rely on some um, European centric, some Eurocentric tropes to explain the Centauri. Even the genocide. Did you guys notice the woman Centauri person in the background kind of dressed like a pope and waving around? um, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's the 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 canister that has the incense, and they they swing it back and forth down the aisle in the during mass. I did not notice that. I didn't notice that. Yeah. She was in the back, like swinging it around and kind of dancing. I was like, "This is giving very Roman Catholic." Yeah, maybe. Well, it would be in line. So we got killing and celebrating life, and oh, the music is similar. And the, the representation club. of all the different deities, though, that's different. Kinda, I would say. No. Oh, go ahead. But. But oh. is it because wasn't it like um, the Greeks kind of meshed in and then the Romans forced everybody to be of one, but people really don't. Well, they really didn't believe, but they pretended to believe just so that it didn't get killed. Something yeah. like that. Like, yeah, there and was the, a very. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mel. Oh, no, you can go. No, no, you got it. OK, so. Yeah, a lot of the diplomats would just pretend to believe what the people believed. And before there was Christianity, they did have multiple gods that were kind of similar to the little protectors that uh, he was um, showing and talking about. 
like just different deities for different ideas which is very um i i get greek and roman mixed up okay. but some of, so one of them is like more about ideas than like elements but then they also do have element ones but they they do have element gods and greek and idea gods like uh some of the women like uh goddess of love goddess of uh hunting and um agriculture um stuff like that whereas the men are more like elements i guess mm, okay yeah Ooh, and, i never thought about it like that hell yes and um i would say maybe that that really is what they're trying to like imprint on the centauri i mean look at that look again they they do dress kind of like the napoleonic era but that's still referencing the roman era so because uh you know at that point um europe was obsessed with the roman past but but yeah so the the differences between the centauri and the minbari the minbari so the centauri their religious celebration is very carnal it's about experiences eating drinking having fun you know while we while we will assume that Lando is drunk, he's probably stoned as well. But the Mimbari, their celebration is very somber. Um, they they tend to come across as extremely like spiritual and idealistic. Um, they <laughs> uh, when they were passing out the fruit, Lando he was like very what's the word? Very he, he, receptive. Well, I mean, it was food, so yeah, it's food, but he kind of had this confused look, like, is this it, you know, <laughs> is that it? And uh, they had, like, um, string music, drums, people were wearing robes, it was, yeah, it was very somber, uh, I would say high context when it comes to their religious uh, observance. And more ritual, ritual, like, the ritual was already planned out like telling the whole story that probably had to be recited every time they did it mm. versus the free for all that the others had. <laughs> yeah and so we get to see some parallels there we don't see much with the um, the narn though the the only thing we got was jakar at the beginning trying to eat a pig's head and i mean i always thought that was gross but and then those little i guess those were uh what was what are the other things he was eating they're like crawfish or something like that little crawling things but um this is the introduction of jakar always having food in his mouth or about to have food in his mouth throughout the whole series you'll notice that some of the best scenes are jakar eating food brings people together yeah so yeah that just sounds disgusting yeah i mean a giant roasted pig's head. Now I know there are people out there who are who think of like, oh yeah, that's great. Um, I'm not one of those people. The instrument that was played during the Minbari ceremony reminded me of the it's it's a and again, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it looks like a Chinese guitar. What what is know? that? I know what uh, you're talking about. I know yeah. for people, this one yeah, yeah, they yeah. There's several different, like, they got a lot of different string instruments. But they but have the same the speaking problem. Yeah, it, it reminded me of that. And so what I'm seeing 
what I'm recognizing in this episode is just a lot of pulling from what is in, instead of like stretching the imagination and invent and coming up with a new thing. Yeah. yeah. So in the 90s, the 80s and 90s, and I'm, oh God, because I was right there with them, but you know, I've grown. But there was this obsession with Asian culture. And so anything that was like, that came across as being vaguely Asian, I think they call this Orientalism. If it's vaguely Asian, then it's like mystical and magical, right? And they didn't care what kind of Asian. It's just vaguely from over there. You know what I mean? So the Mimbari are kind of embodying that Orientalist perspective of the mystical other. Um, They have a very ritualistic um, religious system. They do have a fighting system that you will see uh, later in the show. They keep all these secrets. One thing that they don't explain just yet, but I'll go ahead and share this. The Minbari, while they look like human, they, you know, they're humanoid, except for the bone in their head. Uh, they, they tend to be smaller in frame. They are super strong. They're like superhuman strong. And that will be demonstrated later on in the series. But that's why they were like fierce warriors in uh, the Earth Minbari War. They almost wiped out humans, remember? But now people, now we're looking at them, there's like, oh, they're these small people. And maybe that goes along with the Orientalism. That's a problem. But uh, hopefully, as creatives, we've grown past using those type of tropes and shortcuts. But but that'll be remain. That's remains to be seen. Because even when they somewhat first introdu- introduced her, uh, they were in the Zen Garden, and they're they're forced, they're fierce warriors, and they really take a lot from like the Shaolin monks. They're very disciplined, very educated. They um, study a lot and keep a lot of records, but at the same time, they're powerful warriors and they have bald heads. They look like Shaolin. Oh, like... wow. I didn't think of that. <laughs> wow. I think that was like my, that was one of my hobbies when I was a kid, like studying anthro- anthropology. So, and then seeing that as a kid too, like every time I studied things from anthropology, I could see it in all the sci-fi stuff that I was watching as a kid too. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. And as a sci-fi author, it is kind of hard to kind of find stuff because like with the book that I'm writing now, I'm like, they're going to be Baptist Christian and they're going to be steampunk and they're going to be cyberpunk. But <laughs> without <laughs> actually stealing from like a cult, it is a culture, but not like a people's culture that can be appropriated. Like most of them are American cultures that I actually am in or have been in. It is a little hard to just completely make up. A lot of stuff I try to keep completely make up out of my head. And one of the names of something I actually got from something engineering said when he was smaller that didn't make any sense. He swore it was a word, but it won't. And I looked it up. I'm like, okay, alien word. Okay. That's, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a challenge for creatives, especially, I mean, I know J. Michael Straczynski wrote most of, if not all of the episodes, but you still have to fault him, you know, regardless of what the deadlines are, he took some shortcuts that I think you know, with with a team of folks who were a little bit more diverse could have helped flesh out mm-hmm. some of these ideas. 
But again, he's he's kind of given he's taking shortcuts because we're supposed to do all the work in our own in our heads, you know, being being that this is sci-fi. So it's supposed to be familiar, but at the same time, our suspension of disbelief is supposed to allow us to see it as vaguely familiar, but still alien alien. But that again, that's the problem because you know, we're on earth and we see cultures well, as Americans, we see cultures that we don't encounter often as like so far different that they might as well be alien. And, and I don't, you know, I don't think that necessarily is a good thing. When I first, Oh, go ahead. Go, oh, you go ahead. Uh, well, like comparing watching it now as an adult versus when I saw it, when I was like seven or eight, um, they were alien to me. It wasn't until years later that I made those connections. Like y'all just stole this stuff, and especially like <laughs> I think they did a better job in like the the later Star Wars of just mitch matching different things from different cultures. But it really looked like a big puzzle of stuff that they just took from things <laughs> instead of actually making something new inspired by it. Like change the materials, change the techniques that's used, like. I don't know. Like, there's there's other ways that y'all could have did that, but they they just they did. You could be inspired by it without taking directly from it. And considering maybe they had different techniques of using different materials, like why does everyone have the same type of fabrics? Why does everyone have the same type of uh, patterns in their fabrics? Um, um, why does the food have to look exactly like food from Earth? Even though I mm. guess it would be hard to make it, but then technically you, it's not that hard now that I think about all the the, the chocolatiers on Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> they can make some alien food because of the, the little fruits that they were eating. I'm like, those are cherry tomatoes. Like, wasn't Willy Wonka around back then? Yeah. Yeah. So Willy Wonka done. first came out in the 60s. The book did. I don't remember when go. the movie came out, but yeah. I mean, he well, I'm not going to... Oh, go ahead. He wasn't a real person. No, but the um, the candy is real. Yeah, I'm gonna have to log off now too because that just broke my heart. No, <laughs> no, don't go away. But um, the idea of creating uh, imaginary foods or inventing food like chocolates and candies that look completely different from what we have already existed, y'all could have took from that and made some alien food. Yeah, I think that's part of the point. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna justify like the production choices and all of that. We'll just we'll just say it's a '90s TV show, and there are some elements that if we looked at them, we could find that they are problematic. But um, I think also we're not supposed to think too much deeper into it. But that's also that's also a problem. All right, so um, so we're still we we we're still in the middle of Jakar trying to find his um figure out who his assassin is and at one point him and Natoth are t- talking Natoth is trying to reassure him like oh you're not you know you probably aren't in danger and here's why you weren't given did you did you find a uh, did you find a black rose or a black flower he goes no he goes oh then you should you should be fine because usually victims will find that when they, you know, when their time is coming close. So he doesn't find a rose. Then the next day he wakes up, there's a rose. There's a black, what they call it, a death blossom, which this is, this is another thing that's starting to come across as like some 90s tropes, you know, assassins with calling cards, uh, 
apparently there's a society of assassins somewhere. They have a code and all this stuff. And uh, and it's really, it's interesting in that it makes you want to know more. Like, okay, what else is going on here? Like, how how many other cultures have something similar in this galaxy? But then this is a this is one of those storylines that just kind of drops dead. You don't really hear much about this again. One of the funny things I thought, so Jakar, he goes down to the the um to the alien sector on the station. And uh in the previous episode I said that they don't mention this, but it is referenced in this scene. So Jakar is down there talking to that arachnoid or that um yeah, I don't know what he is. He's he's a connection dude. Every time somebody needs a connection to the earth to the oh, yeah. alien they go to him. <laughs> they go to that giant bug thing. And there's Jakar standing there with no breather on. Fine. And it made me, it reminded me of the pilot episode where he shows off his gills. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess they do kind of reference that again. They don't say exactly what's going on, but there he is down there again. um, No breather. and He's doing fine in that methane environment. They don't say how you don't see the gills. It's just, he was down here before like this. So we're going to, we're going to do it again. What what did you all think of did What do y'all think of that, that scene? First of all, I don't recall it. Um, so I'm gonna be quiet. He was really desperate. Like I could see him being, and he, he acts like he has so much control, but I could imagine he going down there and not having a way to breathe and just like pass out trying to talk to the dude. But uh, yeah, it's, I need to, I know where to go to be sneaky. And whenever one, anyone needs something that they're supposed to be buying, uh, they go to the arachnid, the, the, the insect uh, creature. So I guess it just added to the whole, I'm doing this behind everyone's back and nobody can know, but I'm going to handle it. Right. By going black market for. <laughs> yeah. And then almost immediately his big burly alien uh bodyguard is just murdered in his in his quarters <laughs> and then he gets the uh death blossom too and the look on this alien's face it made me laugh so hard because you know it's a giant mask right but he just has this dumb look on his face as he's dead sitting there dead and i guess that speaks to like while this is a whole serious thing the this story this story thread is more played for humor and Jakar, uh, the, the, the actor, Andreas, he's definitely playing it up as is, as is, as if it is humorous. Um, mm-hmm. same with Natoth. They both like, they playing off each other, each other pretty well. So yeah. the, the cool thing is Natoth is showing, uh, showing that she's pretty resourceful. She ends up finding the courier and she brings him back to Jakar and they, they're questioning him like, Hey, well, who gave you the message? And, uh, and he tells them like, it was, you know, the guy and he, I, I forgot his name. He's the uh, Jakar's old enemy that died. And Jakar's like, no, he's a, uh, he's dead. No, someone had to give it to you. And then this is where they, uh, they, they get some information that makes it seem like Natoth is involved. Like there's, there's kind of like some twists and turns to make, you know, some red herrings. To kind of make it seem like a more of a 
mystery than a comedy. And and ultimately, come to find out, the courier is the is the it is the assassin. He's in the room with Jakar, and he just blasts him. Just pulls a get pulls a gun out and just blow gets him. Uh, this is the part where Sunday thought like, "Oh my God, is he dead?" And yeah. th- go very ahead. taken aback by that. I was just very surprised. It's a classic um, cliffhanger. Go to commercial. You see a main mm-hmm. character have a gun pulled on him. The gun is shot and then commercial. But they come back in Jagar this and I have to laugh at this whole scene. So he has these uh, spikes around this big spike collar around his neck and these spikes around his arms. And uh, they called them pain givers. They had no <laughs> better name, <laughs> no better name. But I guess but I- when you start running out of um, sci-fi names and stuff, you're like, just screw it. Just 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 describe what it is. And it's, Which it's is wild because we have letters, you know, and <laughs> your own freaking word. Yeah, but like really, they could have. But I'm guessing that w- that was when the, that was probably in the rough draft, and nobody took it out. And it was like, screw yeah. it, just called the pain givers. <laughs> I guess they, they had to pull it from pain killers, you know, like the Tylenols. Or the ibuprofens and the acetaminophens, and then you got the pain givers, which is like this saw situation. That- and their their culture isn't very poetic; they're very um, blunt and to the point. So uh, to me, it kind of made sense that they wouldn't be very creative with the name. It's like that's what it does, so that's what we want to call it. Because that's how he acts with everything else. Like he's just very upfront, unless he's trying to be sneaky. But then. Being sneaky to him is not, I'm going to talk around things like uh, his colleague would do um, from the other planet. Uh, it, it's it's more, I'm just not going to say anything. So you don't know. Uh, but if I do want to know, I am enormously direct. And everyone else in his species has kind of been that way. So it kind of stays to, I guess they could have like kept that uh, line of thought of them being very direct and blunt. But also, like, maybe there were different levels of it. Like, maybe that one was the Model 5 or something. That would have made it less, like, it's a pain giver. It gives pain, right? Like, after all these years, y'all would have figured out more than one way to give pain. Like, that's the first time y'all figured out how to give pain. Like, technically, a knife could have been a pain giver. A blunt object found close by, right? Uh (laughs) It it kind of reminds me of um, Star Wars has the Mind Flayer. And it's like, I know what flay means, but this thing is like you put it up against your forehead, like your temples, and it basically shocks you or whatever. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay. At least, you know, at least they went a little bit further with the (laughs) creativity there. But but yeah, so the the way they explain this thing, how it works is um, if he gets within 10 feet, he's going to feel more pain than he could have ever imagined. He gets within five feet of the guy. He would, he'll die. Okay. So we kind of, we kind of have an explanation of what the pain givers do, but he, he also seems to be able to control it remotely as well. So regardless, he's basically shot. It's a shot collar. That's really what it is. Yeah. Sorry, Mel. Go ahead. No, I was just agreeing. What I found interesting was 
the dude activated the pain giver and then said it gives you more pain than you can imagine. And I'm thinking he can probably imagine it now because yeah. you've already given it to him. Um, right. I thought that was an interesting order of words. Yeah. He was he was giving exposition. Like maybe he could have said now you felt more pain than you've ever felt before. Like, aren't you feeling more pain than you ever felt before? Instead of telling you, you are going to now, this is going to give you more pain, right? <laughs> like, no, of course it is. Like, how is it? That would have been, but then that adds to their species being very blunt and direct and, and too obvious about things. Yeah. And again, this, this scene comes across as like, an, again, like a cartoon um, where the guy, he says, Oh, well, my orders are you're to experience uh, fear. So that was the 48 hours leading up to him getting captured in pain. So he got the pain givers. And then he says, and then at the appointed time, you will die. But the person who foils this whole situation is Natasha. She comes up and she's all like, oh, I see that you're using pain givers. That's kind of crude. And he's he's suspicious of her. But she does the whole, I'm going to pretend that I'm helping you. So I can, you know, take over the situation, which she did pretty well. And that could also be part of what you, you're all observing. Like their culture is very blunt, very forward. Natath pretty much takes over the whole situation with like full confidence that the whole thing was going to work. And uh, the assassin, he's still very skeptical. And, and she's she convinces him still that like, hey, I'm your backup. And if we're going to do this right, let's do it my way. And what was her way to torture Jakar? Kick him. She beat the crap out of him. Well, she was trying to be sneaky about it because she was trying to deactivate or break the pain giver. Yeah. 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 She said, I had to punch it and kick it okay. as hard and as high, and as often as possible. And I yes. think she had motives. I agree. Yeah. Because when he asked her, did, did you enjoy that? She's like, yeah, I kind of. And, and her, the actress, really does come across as like, yeah, she does enjoy this. Natoth enjoyed kicking Jakar. But also, like, think about it. She's um Jakar's attache. So she's witnessing when he's bringing in multiple women. He's drinking. He's sitting and sharing uh, space with his enemies. So she's probably thoroughly annoyed with him. So <laughs> in order to, quote unquote, help him, her kicking him, kicking some sense into him, she probably enjoyed it a lot. Like you could just see the glee on her face. <laughs> She's like rolling her eyes at him earlier. And then he already accused her of being the uh, killer. Yeah. Cause he was, he was being uh, paranoid. Is this a love story between Natoff? Is it Natoff? Natoff. Natoff and Jakar. Cause they were skipping and giggling toward the end. I will. I'll go ahead and spoil this is this as well. Unfortunately, no. Jakar doesn't really have a love interest. At least not a single person. Um and not in the romantic sense. Yeah, I think that's the most I can say. He 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 does definitely grow as a character. And so how you were feeling how you were feeling empathetic for him in this episode, um we're going to go through some twists and turns through his character development, but I think you'll be very satisfied where he ends up. And so 
ultimately the way this episode um concludes they uh they knock out the assassin the top basically knocks him unconscious she beats him up right Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. So y'all were talking about how uh, Jakar, when he was when he was uh, when he was connected to the pain givers, he wouldn't he wouldn't uh, yell out. So <laughs> it was when he when he knew what was happening. That's when he refused to give give the assassin the satisfaction of him crying out. That foreshadows something that happens later in the series as well. So keep that in mind. Keep that in your back pocket. But um, so they wake him. They wake up the assassin on in the the transport area, and they're like, "Hey, you know, it's a good thing you're awake. You you were asleep for you know however long. Basically, they they tricked him into thinking that he missed his deadline. And then the the deviousness of Jakar, he said he he uh, deposited a significant amount of money into his personal accounts. So the assassins guild are going to think that he betrayed his commission." And so now he has to go on the run. So that guy, you will never see him again. It was kind of a clever way for them to solve that problem. But that's like the nice, tidy wrap up at the end of these type of uh, TV series. Mm-hmm. And yeah, him and the top dude, they they literally, well, it's not necessarily a skip, but they do have like a, a pep in they step as they walk away. And uh, no, they, kind of, they were holding hands saying, Lulu, skip to my <laughs> Go ahead, Mel. Nat- Natoff kind of took over uh, Sinclair's role of like uh, saving the day, but she did it in her way. Like very, I like the way she came in here all calm and cool. Like I'm, I'm coming in here to kick some butt. Like super relaxed about it versus like Sinclair coming in like a soldier. It, it was very right. contrary <laughs> to what yeah. we normally. See. That's a good point. Sinclair didn't like go on a suicide mission. He didn't try to fight anybody with his bare hands while they got guns blazing after him. <laughs> He's trying to fight he being in love. Right. And he was even like, wow, it's been quiet today. So right. Even he knows he didn't have to risk his life too much. You know, it was quiet because Lando was drunk for two days. <laughs> <laughs> the only person in danger was Jakar. Pretty much, and nobody knew but the two of them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. So we had a oh, and um, the way that Sinclair and Catherine end up, basically, uh, Catherine is ready to leave. She's uh, her and her and uh, Sinclair. They reflect on the week's events and. And it's basically time for Catherine to take off for another survey, you know. And what Sinclair does, if he they we get to see like the final observance of religious culture, and it is of the humans. And this is the thing that I was. This is what I wrote. The uh, each of the alien species, they're like monocultural, right? So. The Centauri, they all have like one celebration. The Minbari, they all have one celebration. For the humans, they are multicultural. They have many religions. And he's introducing uh, everyone to pastors, priests, different. Uh, they even had someone that was uh, Igbo. So that's not, I mean, I guess you could say there is, there's like tribal cultural religion. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily call it like, 
a religion like Christianity or anything like that. It's like tribal traditions. And it's like, what, 10 people in line that everyone is shaking their hands and stuff? There was and, a uh, lot more. Yeah, it, it was a lot of people. It was like a huge, long line. But yeah. as far as the script goes, we only talked to actually like 10 of them. Yeah. They, they had like not just religions for philosophers too, philosophies, because yeah. the first one was an atheist. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Yep. <laughs> and Aborigine, I, did, I didn't know, I didn't consider like, a, I never really thought of it as a philosophy or religion. I thought that's what the people yeah. of Australia were. I'm like, okay. But then they yeah. do have their own separate culture with the religion and everything. They probably don't have a name for it. They just who they are. <laughs> they do what they mm. think. Yeah. And I, I get that for the end of the show, it was supposed to be like, okay, everyone shared their religion. We have a lot of differences, but guess what? Us humans, we have many differences within us, which then shows us that we have more in common than we have differences. They're, you know, they're playing on that whole like di- diplomatic line. Like, hey, our differences really shouldn't separate us. Our, we should be able to separate. We should be able to celebrate our differences, uh, which I guess is the point of the whole, the festival. But you get to see humans kind of leading the the way, as in like everybody is worthy to listen to, to celebrate, and we can learn from. You know, it's real sappy. But what what do you all feel about that that ending? When homeboy was like evil, I was like, oh. Snap. Okay. Yeah. I'll pay oh, yeah. attention. Mm-hmm. I, I was very passively listening. I'm like, eh, they're going to talk about all these other uh, evil. Oh, never mind. Yep. That's how that went. I thought it was going to be fireworks. You know, it kind of felt like it was set up like that because at the beginning of the episode, it was like, yeah, we're going to have all these different religious groups here. And it's like, is that a good idea? Especially when they introduce it with them trying to like keep them from bringing in knives. Right. You you think they're going to fight over their religious religions. And I also kind of feel like they did say major religion of their culture. So um, the diplomats obviously show what their religion was, whereas yeah. Sinclair decided it's like, I'm going to represent Earth. Let me do my job and not just show off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's that's a good point because, like I said, it, it, the other species came across as monocultural, so they had like a monolithic religious practice, or at least that's the way it came across. But maybe, just maybe, some of them have multiple religions and they suppress the others. And right. humans are showing we're not going to suppress anybody. Here, here's what we got. We don't always agree, but this is who we are. And they do that with other things whenever they have to represent their country. Uh, oh, no, not their country. <laughs> their, their planet. It's always just from their perspective. And if they're going to represent the rest of the people, it's always orders from somewhere. Yeah. It's yeah. never, uh, let me actually consider my planet. Like, I'm going to, this is my power. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now that we're done with that, how would you rate this episode? Mm-hmm. I would rate it um, We'll Watch Again because okay. I like it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm comparing know. when I wa- when I watched it, I'm comparing it to when I saw it when I was a kid. So like it was really cool and amazing and opened my mind when I was a kid. But now it's kind of like, 
Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <I think I> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. And then to see like the tropes and stuff where they try to sneak things in, like when you're eight, mm. you, you don't really notice those things, but now I'm noticing now. Yeah. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, I, I have a hard time giving it a fair rating because I know that season one is pretty much all set up. This was a good episode, but there are better ones coming. And uh, like in general, this is this is like uh, it's not as good as I would give it a, you know, this was a cool. I wouldn't say it was great. I say it was cool. It made me want to know the characters a little bit better. But um, the story was kind of silly, but it did have a kind of like a heartwarming finish. Overall, gives you a good idea of what, you know, Babylon 5 is doing its job. Like, they are being diplomatic. They are helping people share what's common. And they have to get that out of the way early on because, you know, this does not last. All right. Well, that was another episode of Voices in Hyperspace. We will return for the next episode of Babylon 5. We're going to go ahead and get out of here. I'm Danielle Smith, a.k.a. Legendary Black Lion. I'm Mel Asylum. You can find me at Mel's Rebellion. Nita and I'm petting my cat. And Sunday is um, still around. Just her sound is off and she's signing off as well. Thank y'all and we'll see y'all next time.